Uh, welcome to two guys discussing software. I'm Tomas O'Leary and I'm here with my good friend Brendan Walsh. How are you? I'm good, Tomas, and I, I thought we weren't going to crack the, the joke of leaving out Irish, but anyway. Did I not leave it out? No, you left it out, but it doesn't matter. I didn't even mean to leave it out. There yeah. you go. He said, we're not going to do that joke anymore. <laughs> I just forget. I mean, you know, do you know what? It's been so long since we've done this show. It's been like, it's, well, we haven't done it since June. Together. Yeah, Together. Yeah. And I, I did one, actually, it was, it was much You bad. did one without me, which was sad. But, uh, yeah, I know. But I was also glad <laughs> I had a break. I had Rowan and we yeah. had Ben Lipinski uh, oh, yeah, recently ben. joined us in the summer and we had, uh, we had a bit of fun. Great what, chat. What did you talk about? We talked about cybersecurity, which is right. incidentally the same thing we're going to talk about today. A good segue into uh, it, today. It is perfect. Yeah, well, yeah. cybersecurity is a big deal. It's a big yeah. conversation. It's big for us now. We're, we're investing a huge amount in, it in our business. So it's all we talk about now, as, as well as third party support and IBM and lots of other things we're going to talk about yeah. in a minute. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I had Rowan and Ben. We had great fun. But I'm glad you're back. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're entertaining fellows, so but yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to be back. It's been a summer of, of mischief, although I've seen you. But. Yeah, well, like, you were in holidays in July, that's why we couldn't have you, and then I was away... Extended holiday, yeah. I was away in August, down in down West Cork, and um, then we were travelling. Actually, I have been, wait until I tell you where I've been, mm-hmm. you, uh, probably, you probably don't even know because I, we haven't seen you much, uh, been in Germany twice, two weeks mm-hmm. in Germany. I've been to London twice. This is all since September. And I have been to Sweden, Stockholm, for yeah. a few days. It's been, like, it feels like normal. Like, out in the road. It's good to be back. And do you back know where I'm going again. Monday? The US. Yes. Yeah. yes. And I'm yeah. following you over. I know, we're going to have, yeah. have a little chat over Our there. Or open house. Uh, well, I've been to London as well. I was at the ITAM Review uh, Wisdom yeah. 2021 in the Oval. Uh, any good? It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Good place to be with Mark and Thompson and the, and the guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And uh, it was our. It was the first in-person event, I think, for... I was at for, I don't know, like 19, 20 months, whatever the number Listen, of months. It, you know, I can't remember. I mean, end of, end of, end of 2019, actually, was when we stuck, we yeah. last really yeah. had anything, isn't it? It was good. Everybody was so happy to be back and actually having some actually proper conversations yeah. without a screen and, you know... Is it funny with meeting people again? No audio problems, you know, all that stuff that yeah. happens. Uh, or you're on mute. And you're on <laughs> mute. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. Nobody has learned how to use Teams or Zoom, you know. Did you have people like speaking with you but you couldn't hear the sound? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't happen in real life, you yeah, know. It was good. That was good. But I was very fortunate I got to go to Paris yeah. on a work trip. Excellent. It was fantastic. What a city. And it was beautiful. And on the first day, we walked. We had nineteen thousand steps because we decided to skip the metro. Oh, cool! And just walk to the various locations. We oh, and few. what was the weather like? Fantastic! It was like Paris in the spring. Yeah, except it wasn't. It was, wasn't it? Was it's awesome. the autumn? Yeah, it's so lovely. But it was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. So that was also meeting. Customers. Did you have? Did you we have met pump, customers? pumpkin soup? <laughs> I love no. pumpkin soup. <laughs> I actually had French onion soup. <laughs> All right. Escargot. All right. And I just stayed away from the steak frites because that would have topped it off with all the traditional <laughs> thing. But uh, it was great. Yeah, they, so. they do a mean now. I was finding in the autumn in France, pumpkin they do soup, a, yeah. in Paris restaurants they do a mean pumpkin soup. But I, I must mention that we have a guest today. We are. This this is why um, is it cybersecurity? Because yeah. we had cybersecurity month in October. It we is did. the European uh, cybersecurity promotion mm. had in October. We where we have a load of webinars going on. Ben has been doing great work since he got in the door. 
and uh, we have a webinar coming up in a couple of weeks time and we have a get, uh, one of the speakers at that is a guy called Graham Day mm-hmm. he lives here in Ireland he is a cybersecurity expert guru he spent 23 years with the UK government as a cybersecurity and uh, counterintelligence expert and spent the last seven years as a consultant and he's written a book so we haven't, wow. we haven't done this in a while I uh, got somebody who wrote a book on the show, so we're looking forward to have a chat Let's to him. Let's talk to you about the book. We're going to chat to him later about that. Sorry, um, yes. But before we do that, we have to have a chat about what's going on in the world. It's a, it's November, we start of November, we just missed the end November. of October. November. Are you going to grow a moustache, by the way? I'm going to... I'm going to... No, I'm, I've committed to, to ha- having a, having a moustache. I didn't say how I'd get one. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. committed to having a moustache. Is that not good enough? That's good enough, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like so false one, yeah. Yeah, Fair well, enough. you know, there's always smoke and mirrors uh, that go on in, in, in the world of, of moustache growing, as indeed there is in the... Um, in the in the world of business, yeah. <laughs> speaking of smoke and mirrors, tell us what's been happening with our really good friend IBM. IBM, the three letter three letter friend. We have yeah. to talk about so, them. So yeah, we do, and we always talk about them. So we have to start with them because it's been a while. But I guess the biggest news, really, on the IBM side of the house, is that Kindrel, if I'm getting that spelling that right or pronouncing that right, yeah, uh, they have been cut loose. So as of yesterday, from IBM. Which I think is, you know, it's a good, probably a good thing in the long run for IBM. Um, I'm sure, sure it's such a good thing for Kindrel, uh, but they immediately dropped, <clears> their share price immediately dropped. It was like they walked out the door like a free man, rang the bell, and the share price dropped 6.7%. So, But everybody knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, honestly. That, it's uh, not the most attractive, you know, if you're going to start a business tomorrow yeah. and you said we're going to do managed services, infrastructure management, you know, we're going to manage all your, you know, it's not very sexy. No, no. nobody's talking about it, that. It's still not as bad as a crowd. What was that crowd in the UK called the Hut Group? Do you hear about those guys? They went to <laughs> a meeting a few weeks ago. They do their online retailer, like an Amazon for, for, for like a beauty products. Do you hear about these guys? Uh, yeah. They uh, went to a meeting yeah. and at the end of the meeting, they would fit investors. They walk out the door and the share price literally within a matter of hours drops 35%. Holy God. Two billion pounds wow. drops off the value. What did they do at the meeting? <laughs> uh, what I don't know what they did at the meeting, but it was outrageous. Like so, uh, I mean, how it well, happened? Six point seven isn't too bad, you know. I suppose. Well, everybody was saying people were going to sell. I mean, people were going to sell. I mean, I'd be held on to, some, to a share. I heard. I heard their CEO actually was listening to it yes. earlier. It's normal. Going to hold he on seems to like an all right guy. Um, Martin Schroeder, I think his name is. Yeah, well, I mean, every I listened to some of his uh, thing, and uh, every question that the person asked him was also a very good question. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's a very good question. Yeah, you know. well, he's been trained. He's been, he, trained, he, he's been trained, trained, but he, yeah. but he's, but he was good. I mean, I've been going to hold on about twenty percent stake in the company. You know, they're what are they? Nineteen billion revenue. He's putting lipstick on the pig a little bit, I think. I mean, he, he said all the right things. He hit all the right notes, but it was pretty, like, interview 101 as far as I... But but think of it as an investor, right? Go back to some of the stuff <clears> you talk about. <throat> Stocks going up and down. You talk about this all the time. Their value is, I mean, $6 billion valuation, right? Mm-hmm. I was having a quick look this morning at, say, two of their peers, mm-hmm. Capgemini here in Europe. DXC is a closest, probably the closest peer in terms of revenues. They have a revenue of... 8.5 um, uh, sorry 18 billion and yeah. the valuation is 8.5 billion now I don't know if you can compare I guess you got to look at gross margins you got to look at you know where's the growth coming from what's been happening what are the service but the I mean they would probably at a, at a, as an outsider looking in you'd say they're probably Kindrel and DXC mm. are probably not that dissimilar mm. yeah 
So the um, valuation is about a third of their revenue. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. but, but, um, yeah. So, but, but you would expect so expect a lower revenue, but a, a higher valuation yeah. by so about there's room for growth. Uh, there's potential room for potential, growth there. Yeah. If they can hold on to their customers, if, can, if the revenue can stop yeah. falling, exactly. You yeah, because it has it. You know, in 2010, 2011, that was a forty billion dollar business. And yeah, it's twenty billion. Yeah, so it's declined by twenty billion. Yeah, I mean, we look, at, look, we look at Accenture. Accenture doing fifty billion. They would have been they would have been much smaller than IBM back mm. back in twenty eleven. You know mm. what I mean? Or were they even Accenture back then with the Arthur Anderson? Forty mm. mm. make that. Yeah. I mean, they they had to come through a serious kind of load of problems to to create. But they have a fifty billion dollar business. So it's I mean, listen. We 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 come out heavy on on on, know, on, yeah. on IBM for a right reasons many times, but listen, I think the jury's out on this organization. I think what it does, though, my own view on IBM, thinking about the companies who use IBM and negotiate all the big organizations that we talk to, it it's going to present new opportunities to them because I think traditionally the IBM approach in our certainly my experience and I think in yours is is the is they go in with there's so many things they can offer between their managed service mm. business and all the security product main and particularly for companies who have who have heavy investment in legacy technology that they go in and they can hide stuff in a in a deal mm. you know because the deal cuz it's so big they can they can hide stuff and they can say well we can it's it's nearly the top line numbers all that matters they don't have really those options now they've mm. kind of carved away a business that you know let's say a customer they normally expect to do 500 million dollars a year with you know they can wrap in a five-year deal, a two, a, you know, at two point five billion, mm. and maybe you know a billion in that is 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 Kindrel business. Mm. Now mm. they don't have that option. Now it's a, a much smaller pie. They're looking at two fifty, three hundred million, and they're starting to scrutinise it. They can't bury it all into the same pot. Mm. So I think it's going to make things easier for customers actually to negotiate with IBM mm. and harder for IBM to kind of hide stuff. Mm. So I think it's I think it's it's going to be interesting, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well maybe it's rather than trying to bury kind of what they I think they call it like, you know, value settlements and value deals that they'll actually just sell people what they want rather than giving them stuff that they don't want. But we I've still seen recently talking to some customers about you know, why do you have this particular software this entitlement? And they go, I'm not really sure. I think it was part of the settlement or it was like a value deal and we're not really going to use this particular cloud pack and it just yeah. happens to be there. It's like, it, they're still at it. They're just, they're, they're just now calling it a cloud. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, old habits. And have you, you've been looking at IBM's numbers, I believe? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like, you know, pretty. I mean, revenues are up 1%. I don't think many organizations would accept that if you compare that to Microsoft, you know, up 21%, if, if that's one of their peers. Um, you know, their revenue growing in Azure, growing up 51%, revenue up 1% year on year isn't great. Uh, you know, it's declining IBM Z. Obviously, the, the Kindle was a drag now before they left them on, on that particular on that uh, revenue growth. That's now that drag is now gone. But the, the market's looking for them now to deliver in Q4, their final quarter, they're in their final quarter now, looking for them to deliver 20 billion. So let's, let's look back on that at the next podcast and see if they make it. Yeah. But compared to their peers, they just don't seem to be, you know, as a, achieving as much, you know, can they get to you know, like Microsoft, forty six point two billion up twenty one percent in a comparable quarter, their fourth quarter, uh, twenty twenty one. Probably not. So, but there's a big opportunity. It's a big market. They've got no drag on the business. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Yeah. And they have new services. I believe. They do. They do. I mean, part of their growth strategy, obviously, is to diversify and not just sell IBM. 
what uh, are software. They, what are they selling? Go on. Well, they're you selling. Tell me earlier. Can't wait. <laughs> tell, tell this well, to these people. Well, well, you know, they're selling third-party support for Oracle. They now, are in the same business we're in. They're in the third-party market, yeah. So, you know, they, they will now tell their customers, you don't need to stay with the OEM or the editor of the software. Actually, it's... Well, a viable alternative. Well, hallelujah. To to <laughs> That's all provider. I can say. <laughs> uh, and also, they promote it by saying, actually, there are myths, you know, and false facts about the ability of third parties to support you and maintain your software and even enhance it into the future while you transition to the cloud. And this is called third party support. Did, did they come out to jump on our website and rob any of our content? Do you think I, it looks very similar? But we'll uh, have to get Michael and the team onto that yeah. one. So, so I believe you know, given that they're now promoting third-party support and the right to repair and the right to fix your own <clears> software and using a third party, I'd say they're possibly a potential applicant for a free ICT. Oh well, 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 well. Would they well, be? Uh, uh, now, now we're, we're pushing a little bit too far. Actually, did you? Did you? Yeah. You know, so free ICT. No, because actually, do you know the one thing we do when we're looking to kind of form alliances in, in Brussels, and indeed we're about yeah. to do the same check, now in Washington. Check, check the references or check Well, you the check the background. So you check, check the background of the organization and who's funding the organization. And mm. not just looking for, sometimes you might look at an, an organization that's been funded by another organization. Yeah. You've got to look behind that organization. Let's say Digital Europe is a classic one. But there'll be many, many others mm. in Brussels, and Digital Europe is funded by all the big tech companies. But actually, I don't, on, on that point, I don't know if you saw, there was a recent report out by an organization called Corporate Europe Observatory, and they looked at the amount of money that was spent by lobbyists per annum in Brussels mm. by the tech industry, and it's almost 100 million. Mm. 100 million a year. To influence either directly or indirectly. So directly would be where uh, IBM or Microsoft or Facebook or Google or Alphabet, I should say, pays goes directly pay, directly paid at lobbyists. But they also then fund organisations like Digital Europe mm. and many others. So for that reason, I wouldn't have IBM in the same room as us. Unfortunately, mm. great that they're doing this because it validates our industry, which we yeah. which is which is nice to but get. A question on that. So it's a hundred million. Yeah, and it's just to pay lobbyists to go around trying to convince legislators to weaken legislation or dilute legislation yeah. or, or th is there any money going into brown envelopes no 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 no, no 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 because there is i mean but the way brussels <coughs> works it's a, it's a, there is a a there's a there's a transparency register so you have to be visible you have to be transparent mm. so i don't know whether they examine the, the the actual salaries of people i'm not sure it goes that far but you have to look at the funding that's behind everything so you have to you have mm. to be there has to be very much open book but but i've seen it firsthand where because i've been in brussels since 2014 mm. i remember going to meeting meet with a uh, MEP, who was a chair of a particular meeting that was looking to make some changes around the right to mm -hmm. repair, which has now become much more in vogue. But this is like 2016. And it was a UK MEP. And she, in the meeting, showed me a document, which I took a picture of, that was going to go to a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Went to the meeting to be discussed, and it was voted on. And you can actually see, one in the European Commission website, it's very transparent. You can see who was at the meeting and how did they vote. That was voted down. It's passed the, at that meeting, but then was voted down subsequently. Or I was diluted. And this is what they do. They do go in and their job is to water down or, or, or block or obstruct 
any well-meaning legislation mm. and I mean think about the right to repair the ch- choices that you and I make as consumers and businesses can make for us as a business you know these are things that you think they should be f- absolutely fundamentally allowed mm. their job is to stop any progress in that area or if they can't stop it to slow it down like there was a in the report it talked about 75% of the meetings relating to current legislation are with industry lobbyists and 86% of these meetings this is with the tech mm. lobbyists were with the six big tech mm. you know it's just the amount of time it consumes mm. like we do this of course we're also lobbyists you could say oh yeah well we're at the same game but if you're not at the table then forget about it yeah you don't have the number of lobbyists and you don't have the same funds not, so. not, not even remotely close you yeah. know what I mean the yeah. amount of money is like it's like you know they'd spend it in a, in a minute yeah. our full budget for the year you know, so I think it's great that that the European uh, corporate Europe, Europe Observatory pushed this one out there because it's mm. actually they need to show that shine the light on it. Mm. I mean, it includes all of the big players that we know about. Yeah, but it includes also the likes of I, IBM and and mm. and Oracle and, and you know SAP. All of these guys are doing the same thing. Yeah. They're yeah. all in there. And I think I did read that the big tech, mm. as you mentioned, compared to the car industry, have several times more lobbyists. You know, like that they might have, you know, Facebook might have four lobbyists, you know, or funding, you know, four four full time lobbyists, whereas Audi or Volkswagen might only have, you know, one full time equivalent. Yeah. You know, so they're pumping yeah. money into this. Yes, yeah, two to three and times. Fighting for self regulation at the same time. It just well, they want self regulation because that's what they've had all their lives. Yeah. I Why mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> but it doesn't work. You know what yeah. I mean? When you look at the situation there recently, when Facebook went uh, went down, which knocked down WhatsApp, it knocked down Instagram. Globally, like it went down for several hours. I mean, people couldn't book yeah. taxis, people couldn't do business. If that happened in the banking industry or the energy mm. industry, if the grid went down, mm. like there's, there's rules and regulations, they have obligations to their consumers. Mm. So, you know, you don't see banks will regulate ourselves. If banks regulated themselves, we'd have a real problem. <laughs> well, you know, had, I think we had something close to that. Yeah, well, there's always a, ba- there's always a balance, but you need, you need rules of the road and technology now. One thing that's come out of COVID in my mind, we're going to talk to, <laughs> to Graham shortly about this. The one thing in my mind's come out of it is the, um, the, uh, the importance of technology. The importance of technology and we can't have a big organizations dominating the landscape i mean i don't know whether you saw the news about um the european court of justice case there uh, between uh where they yeah, were, they yeah. adjudicated so on despite it. all the lobbying yeah yeah, yeah. Despite all the lobby, but common sense can prevail Com- yeah. common sense can prevail and we there's lots of well-meaning legislation that happens in brussels and washington and all around the world in, in, yeah. in london and everywhere else so there's a lot of well-meaning legislation that comes out um, and the courts generally try to take the right make right decisions so the european court of justice made a decision it probably missed everything because it's the sort of thing that's kind of a small like footnote in the bottom of a newspaper article or a magazine article but actually this was really important and it's all around the kind of right to repair uh, in the technology spaces we're in so a organization in brussels a software company is selling software to a arm of the belgian state this is nearly 10 years ago or so and somewhere along the line about 10 years ago the relationship breaks down a little bit and the company, the state company, the Belgian state company, still has the right, has a perpetual right to use the software, mm-hmm. makes a change because it needs to fix a problem with the software. The company... It decompiles... It decompiles the software. Don't worry about yeah, the detail. Yeah. It, does, it makes yeah, a change yeah. to the software, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which is a basically an infringement, according to the, the IP owner, which is a company called Top Systems. Mm-hmm. It, it says, no, you're not allowed to do that. 
you're infringing. And they say, well, we actually have a right to do it because actually within the uh, European Software Directive, it's always been there mm. that you have a right under particular circumstances mm. to address, but mm. nobody's ever challenged it. Of course, the software company, like all software companies do, go, oh, that's our IP and throw the lawyers at it and try to terrify them. Fair play to the Belgian state. They went to court, they mm-hmm. defended themselves and they won, yeah. right? Doesn't stop there. They, the software company says, how dare they win? We're going to go again. And they appeal it to the Supreme, the equivalent of whatever the Supreme Court is, mm. in top court in Belgium. The Belgian top court looks at it and says, well, actually, this is a European directive. And they pass it up to European Court of Justice. Now, obviously, this doesn't happen in the space of the time I'm telling yeah, you this. Yeah, it happens yeah. over many years, <laughs> sadly. It does, it does take time. But yeah. ultimately, what happened then is... Yeah. The European Court of Justice, about three weeks ago now, early October, makes a decision, actually, it says, yes, absolutely. Mm. The Belgian state authority has the right to do that. Mm. This is fascinating stuff because it's finally now putting some case law around certain decisions, which I think would has a, could have a huge impact. Think about this. When Windows 7 went out of support there a number of years ago, we had a situation in the lead up to it, there was over a billion devices globally that were running Windows 7. By the time it went out of support, there was estimates between 200 and 400 million devices still running Windows 7, right? Mm-hmm. Think about the sustainable sustainability and, and environmental impact of this. What happened to many of those devices had to be pulled out, ATM machines, pulled out of walls, replaced, okay? Mm-hmm. Think about ATM machines in the Western world. ATM machines are really there to give us cash. Cash is declining. Nobody needs to touch these things. Yes, what had to happen? They had to be removed. Where did they go? Probably landfill. Who knows where they went, okay? Mm. Ultimately, it's not, wasn't that, because nobody else could provide any support and maintenance for Windows 7. Mm. Windows 10 now mm. is going to be replaced by Windows, I think it's 11, mm. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Very innovative. But yeah. so Windows 11 is going to come along, and then we're going to have the same situation. However, this time, in Europe certainly at least, there's options. Mm. I think you're going to find that there's going to be new players coming into the market who will be able to use this ruling hmm. to say, right, actually, let's go after that market. Let's provide these several hundred million devices and, and whatever thousand customers there are as a business opportunity. Hmm. So this is great for Europe, by the way. It's really, really good for Europe. Sad that the US isn't, isn't taking, taking a lead in this, but actually the US is catching up. So I think you're going to see some good stuff there. Yeah, it's pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. Very, so, and I think and IBM will love it. Well, of it, course. It'll, it'll make their you know provision of third-party support for Oracle much easier. <laughs> they have to de- decompile the, the, the software code and make changes. And So what do we we bring Graham in? Let's bring Graham in. I mean, Hello, you know, Graham. I see you've joined us there. Nice to meet you. Likewise, James. Pleasure. Graham, you 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 you're you're in Ireland. I believe you're in the Midlands somewhere. I am indeed. I am indeed. Yes. And you and you're a friend. You're a friend of of Ben's. Is that right? Yeah, Ben and I have a common history, so we say. Yes. <laughs> Although and, I used to work for a living. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's okay. You did. You know. Are, did you do twenty three years of working and then seven years of not working, or the other way around? <laughs> no, twenty four of working and then six of not working. Yep. Yep. Good. Well, listen, welcome to that. We, 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 that's exactly how we operate here at Original, as you've probably heard from Ben already. Um, we, we had Ben on the show there, well, the last show we did back in July, and, uh, I, and I believe you're doing, you're doing a, a webinar with him on security. First, I'd love to ask you a question, actually, Graham. I mean, I mean and, and you can tell us a little bit about yourself as, as, you, as, you, tell, as you answer some of the questions, because I'm sure the, the listeners would love to know a little bit more about you. And I know you've You've recently released a book, Security in the Digital World. So we'll we'll have a little chat about that in a minute. But I would like to ask you for the first question, actually, 
the cybersecurity month that's happening uh, and actually just ended at the end of October it there. Is. Yeah, I mean, it's been running for 18 years, I believe. We we saw a bit of it visible in, in, our, in, in around our business. I mean, how 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 seriously is this taken by organ? I know cybersecurity is really important to big corporates, but is it are we taking it seriously enough, do you think? We are taking it seriously enough. The frustration is it's not getting as wide exposure as it needs. So as an industry, we are very much focused on, rightly so, profit and encouraging the development of business. But unfortunately, that's not the sector that needs that awareness. <laughs> In my opinion, that's not the greatest sector that needs that awareness. What is? Well, the home user, more so than anything else. Because fundamentally, businesses have organizations like Origina. Businesses have internal information security functions. Yeah. What's the home user have? I mean, they have that reliance on industry that that legislation will be put in place and the regulatory body exists. They have that trust that industry is acting in their best interests. And unfortunately, we know that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to say, say that when we when, when COVID kicked in, we all moved home. We all had the technology. I mean, the vast majority of the staff at the time they're with us all had laptops provided by the company and all that sort of stuff. But actually, we didn't ask who was your internet provider. Did you share the internet connection with anybody else? Who did you share with? There was no, there was no exact the sort of thing you do in an office. So it it was actually in, in my mind. But actually, there was nothing we could do. Like, ultimately, you had to carry on working and you had to put people at home. And we've recently, as part of our own uh, changes we've made, we obviously have the, the security part of our business that's outside helping our customers. But internally, we brought in a CS chief security officer and we recently brought in our general, our, our general counsel, Guy Tritton, now who has been helping us for the last seven or eight years, has joined us as chief risk officer. Because actually, and these are sort of questions I said to him. And when he came in, I said, listen, what do we do about all of this? That we're all working from home and not just the people. So let's say you worked in the office and brought home a secure laptop. You might be okay, okay? Because you've got maybe some software on your, on your laptop. But what happens if you join the company during COVID and you were interviewed over Zoom and you, then you get a job? You know, we, we, don't, we haven't been to where you live. We don't know where, anything about it. How do you deal with all? Is this what gave you the inspiration for writing the book? Um, Yes and no. So the book was a good while ago, and it actually started as a personal project, because fundamentally, and as you say, I can allude to my background, I worked in the UK public sector for 24 years, yeah. and my function was always protecting people who can't protect themselves. Okay. And that's what my goal was with the book. It didn't start as a book. It started as a little project. I wanted to protect my grandchildren, because at the end of the day, they are the digital generation. Yeah. You know, as far as they're concerned, we're all dinosaurs. We're all archaic. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to protect the, my wife's parents because fundamentally, we technology is not exclusive to the current generation. It's not exclusive to Generation X, Generation Y. You know, but respected elders, they lived in a trust generation. You know, you could often, and you know yourselves in Ireland, you know, you could go down the shop, come back to the house, and all of a sudden the neighbors in the house with a cup of tea waiting for you. Yeah. You left the door open, you know, there's total freedom of movement. Yeah. That generation has changed. Unfortunately, society has changed rather. And yeah. that generation have yet to adapt. So they are extremely vulnerable. So between that trust generation and the naive elements of society, I just wanted to build that little project for my own family to guide them. And in the end, my wife turned around and said, Look, there's far too much information in here. 
far too much valuable information in here to keep it to ourselves. And that's how it is developed. And how, how, how does this then apply to companies? Is it, is it along the lines I've described to you, that, I just, that little anecdote about how we, the sort of problems that were going on in my head? Uh, are they the sort of things, are there, are, or am, 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 am I even missing many no, of them? No, I mean, I, I remember talk, I was talking to a little girl recently. Uh, my daughter minds her in that. And uh, actually, it wasn't her, it was a, a friend of the family. And her little daughter turned around and says, well, I can tell you what my mum's password is at work. Because she lets me on the computer. Okay. And she showed me what the pin is to unlock the computer. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> you've got that aspect. And then you've got, well, we've got such a dependency on passwords. And rightly so. People need passwords, for example. But it's yeah. understanding what a secure password is. And also, mm -hmm. you've got archaic practices like change your password every 90 days. Well, all that's going to cause is problems. Yeah. You know, if you've got a strong password and you've proven it strong using a strength checker, keep it. All right. Be aware that if a company you're associated with is breached, you need to change it. Yeah. But it's all these little easy practices that people are aware of. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that. I always wondered about the 90 day thing. I was going, why are they asking this? You know, especially if you've gone and done a really complicated one. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you're what, have like, it's hard enough to, to do the first yeah. one. Yeah. You know? Have a longer, stronger password. Why change it? If it yeah. works, why change it? Yeah. If your telly works, you're not going to change it after 90 days and say, I want a new one. We like, I like your style, Graham. Common sense. I like it. It's, it's, it's totally common sense. So there's an example of something at home. You've got home users, well, office workers who are working from home, who are coming in and out of the office. Are there other threats like that? I mean, Pat, you talked about, you know, passwords. What do you talk... Is it possible, you know, you're on the way to work and you pull in at a coffee place and you're, 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 the traffic's heavy and you pull into a Starbucks or a, a local coffee <laughs> shop? Or the... Oh, that public Wi-Fi is a diamond, and you, isn't it? And you, well, work, you, you work in the finance team and you start doing the banking. <laughs> well, you've, you've got more than one aspect now because you've got the public Wi-Fi. So straight away, you're going into an open network. And unless the organisation has introduced something like a VPN, which is a secure channel for your communication, yeah. which touches to your laptop, unless they've introduced something like that, everything you're transmitting is over a public network. Yeah. Now, they provide that for convenience, not for security. You yeah. go into Tesco's and you access the Tesco network and you're yeah. doing your shopping, checking your shopping list, and all of a sudden, your bank comes up and says you need to verify this. So you're accessing your bank in Tesco's. You know? But then the other aspect is uh, when you think about it, and this is the threat that most people don't know about, Apple, as an example, they can charge um, a bomb for their charging cables. And people will resent that, possibly. But at the same time, you could go down a lo local shop, buy a charging cable for a fiver, use it in anywhere, and all of a sudden, that charging cable has embedded malware that transmits to your device. And that's for your phone. You know, and that exists nowadays. So you've really got to be careful where you're wow. sourcing I never, I never would have even thought of that. Okay, so you can actually introduce malware through additional Cables. devices yeah. and it's okay so we were you, you might have picked up on i don't know what stage you joined the, the, the show but you might have picked us talking about regulation and mm -hmm. russell's there's an example of you know the industry actually is not isn't it just so the industry has spent all its life saying it's all about self-regulation we need to regulate ourselves absolutely that's a problem isn't it because you can they're not gonna they what you just spotted there is an issue that really shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed through 
to rules. It shouldn't. Absolutely. There should be some sort of checking, like standardizations, not related. That's maybe geography based or regional based, based on you know, EU well, or UK or US. That says, okay, we don't allow these products to come into the market. You can't. It's like that's like selling an unsafe baby mm -hmm. product. Well, you've got that yeah. context, but then you've got the other contrast. So obviously, we're talking about European regulation. Yeah. Well, you've got what thirty-seven countries in yeah. the, create that regulation. Yeah. You've got to 20, find something they all agree yeah. on. Twenty-seven, yeah. sorry. Yeah. You've got to find something they all agree on. First yeah. instance, and then you've got to find that application. But you look at airports. If you go flying, then obviously the last thing you do before you go on the flight probably is charge your phone in at the USB port provided at the airport. Yeah. You know, because you want to have that phone to yeah. watch videos in the flight or whatever. You know, but how many airports check those USB ports? Yeah, because those USB ports could just as easy have a, a a frontage on them, which allows the transfer of malware. Yeah, and if you're an employee and you're reliant on your mobile phone for work, straight away you're introducing malware into your mobile phone. You give us a really scary story. Give us some hope. Why can you? <laughs> What can you do? What can yeah. you do to save us? I've just changed all my habits forever now. Well, I'm, fly I'm flying next week. Everything's going to be charged before I leave the house. I'm not going to connect to the airport Wi-Fi. I'm going to, <laughs> you know, should I use my phone? Now I'm worried about that. Absolutely. Yeah. But when you take your phone charging cable, take your plug adapter. There is no way to infect a malware through the electricity supply. Mm -hmm. That hasn't been established yet. Yeah. Because the current in the electricity supply can affect the malware through EMF. Mm. So that aspect hasn't been proven. So take your own adapter. Have the good practices when you're traveling. Just things to be aware of who's in, over your shoulder. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about cybersecurity, and probably that's one of my biggest concerns, is cybersecurity has caused the dilution of information security. Mm. Everyone talks about cybersecurity now because everyone's becoming so reliant on technology and good information security practices are being lost. So you've got working at home, you've got plumbers coming in the house, which is a massive threat because you've got the overhearing and overlooking threat, which people yeah. are forgetting about. You've got these traditional threats that are being overshadowed by malware and ransomware and business email compromise and all those good threats. But the traditional threats still exist. Yeah, the, the old, uh, I used to work in the payments industry and there was the shoulder surfing. Right? Absolutely. Which was the guy looking over your shoulder as you put your, your card into the machine, watching, yep. your, watching your pin. Hmm. So he has a card reader on the machine, but he needs your pin. So he just looks mm -hmm. over your shoulder and, and all of that traditional, hmm. you know, basic stuff, you know. Absolutely. And you've, you actually said a key word a minute ago there, uh, Brandon. So you mentioned habits. And that's really what we need to do. Mm. Technology is great. Technical solutions are awesome. If a company puts a VPN in, that's awesome. If a company puts a firewall in, that's awesome. But if a company puts an email security appliance in, then that could be a challenge to the employee because they might really need to send an email and they might circumvent it. Yeah. So the whole key thing is, if you put a technical solution in, that culture has to be comparable. Mm. You know, employees need to understand that... These technical solutions are there for a reason, and they need to work with these technical solutions, and they need to be treated as your greatest security asset as opposed to your greatest security risk. You need to make them partners in the security. Yeah, I think, you know, people are very complacent, I think. You know, they don't worry yeah. about 
that it might something might happen to them or they might get hacked. I mean, I get dodgy phone calls now every day from numbers that I never answer. I get really crappy texts purporting to be my bank saying we will Absolutely. never ask you, we will never ask you for your pin, but it's it's like it's so obviously not my bank. So it's definitely on the increase, and I think certainly in in, in Regina, we we do make people aware very you know very conscious of this is happening. But I think in general the public are are both not really aware, quite complacent, and actually putting in stuff at home is also quite complex and can cost a few bob, right? So, you know, if Absolutely. you want to lock, lock down your house, you got to have probably a hardware firewall, you know, cost a few quid. Mm -hmm. You probably have to have, you know, anyway, a, a pal of mine has locked down his house, but it just, it seemed overly complicated. So can it, can, can it be, can we remove the complexity? You know, that's the challenge. I mean, Thomas mentioned a few minutes ago about regulatory requirements and so forth. I mean, I remember giving a talk to security professionals, what, five years ago. And it was all about, you know, the one thing I turned around to and said is, look, people are relying on professional security providers to ensure that what we put in place is a, a control. So this was a physical security convention. I said, all you guys, or a lot of you guys are installing CCTV. But how many of you understand the need to change the default password, the need to change the user profile, the user account name? You need to learn these things as well so that you're introducing the control and not vulnerability. Yeah. But then from a regulatory perspective, security industry has an established regulator, has a significant regulatory body, but they still aren't aware of this challenge. You know, they're waiting for the IoT to develop a regulator, which isn't going to happen in any time soon, but they're not adopting this new way of working. So that's the challenge. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's funny, the whole, the whole COVID has really brought all of this to a head. I mean, I think what you described there is be, would exist anyway, but yeah. I'm just thinking about some of the things we're talking about here in the last few minutes. And no matter how, I mean, the people who listen to this podcast are usually, mostly people in, in, in either in large companies or working with large companies. Yeah. And, you would have thought historically those organizations would be immune to these. Well, you would have, would you have thought, okay, so the layman in the street might think they're more likely to be okay because everybody works in the office and they can control. But actually, they're now probably in a worse position because they've put everybody out working from home now. Um, they have probably hired, you know, take a company with 50,000 employees. In the last 18 months, they probably replaced certainly maybe up to 20% of their staff. Yep. So there's 10,000 employees that weren't there pre-March 2020 and may never have been to an office yet. Absolutely. And, yeah. And even in the office, as Brandon mentioned about, the, you know, habits, we need to make it habits. But mm -hmm. at the same time, the company has that responsibility. I mean, your basic one, even in the office, you know, Brandon mentioned about shoulder surfing, massive one there. I mean, even working in Dublin, how many... If you walk past an office building, how many times can you look in the window and see the screens? Yeah. People don't think about obfuscation, or if you can't afford the obfuscation, if you want people to look at the building, that's great. Make yeah. sure screens are turned away from the windows. <laughs> it's basic <laughs> things like that. Yeah. And, it, and I mean, I love going into you know some of the hospitals now. You go in and all the private clinics are in there, and that's great. And the receptionist is there, and they've got the router on the desk. Well, they've got the router up on the top of the desk, and you can see what the Wi-Fi password is. 
<laughs> it's great, you know. At home, it's it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. You're like a version of Liam Neeson in Taken. I think you're just yeah. you got, <laughs> you're you're seeing all the threats that none of us see. But I I mean it, we could get too paranoid. I think what you well, I think what you're if I'm if I'm listening carefully to what you're actually saying, you're pointing out these problems. But um, are we? What I'm trying to get 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 an understanding here for for us as users and businesses, we have to have I guess good habits. You talked about culture is probably very important here, and I, and the one thing I always talk about, even in our own business all the time, is a healthy level of paranoia. I think I think it's okay to be paranoid in a healthy way, as in be aware that that things aren't always what they seem to be. And Absolutely, a little little phrase you might uh, which I love is uh, absence of the normal, presence of the abnormal. So everyone wants to work. Yeah. Everyone goes to work rather traditionally or even at home. Everyone will move to their workplace and they do a traditional route. Humans are creatures of habit. We'll build habits. We'll follow those habits. So if we can build those security habits, that's ideal. But in our normal life, we have habits as well. So if anything's changed, why is it changed? Just ask yourself that little question. Mm. Even in the workplace, if something's changed, why is it changed? You know, if you can all of a sudden access folders on the IT system that you couldn't before, what's changed? Yeah. You know, if you can't access stuff, information you could have accessed before, what's changed? And the other challenges as well, getting people to, or getting organisations to, to move away from the uh, culture of blame. You know, we need to really support employees to say, if something's changed, you need to let us know. If you've done something wrong, let us know. The sooner we know, we can fix it. You know, so that awareness, that alerting awareness as well is critical because mm. even organisations engaging myself, they'll only do it on the basis of an issue. If they don't know about the issue, they can't raise, they can't fix it. So you've got all these aspects. But yeah, it is very easy to become, to develop those natural security habits. There's no reason to be paranoid. I mean, people have just got to embed it into their way of life, their way of working. Yeah. And are there any any bombshells or landmines, security landmines that we haven't discovered yet? You know, the the, the, old, the ransomware one was 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 a big one in the last twelve months, and malware. And are there any any ones that we haven't even thought about yet that are, that are you know they they talk about you know people taking over your profile or impersonation? Mm. Is that gonna is that gonna happen? Increase is that is that? I don't know how uh, I don't know if you follow UK news at all. But there's a, an excellent story reported this morning, and it was, happened last week, I think. But someone actually had their whole house stolen from under them. They actually <laughs> had their house. Sorry, that's terrible. No, but yeah. basically, their identity was compromised to the extent that a person was able to open, open a bank account, engage a solicitor, and they actually sold their house from yeah. under them. The problem was as well, the police have turned around and said, well, it's not a criminal matter, because it's all been done legally. <laughs> it's like, the, the police are now investigating it, but you've got that challenge as well. And the other aspect is it's not a threat that's not known, but basically you've got state sponsored. So the attackers are going to get better. Mm. State sponsored th threats do exist. There's just a lot of, uh, it's almost denial about them mm. because they are so complex and they can be so complex that organizations maybe don't have the maturity to protect against them yet. So I think that is, it's as I said, it's ever present, but it's just not reported too much. But it's, it's uh, I was I was reading it that it's you know 2019, 2020, it's like 
state-sponsored attacks are up 40% or something. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be <laughs> becoming very popular, fashionable yeah. or something. Absolutely. And probably the only other aspect that I really would want to draw attention to is that threat awareness. Because, you know, people are trying to protect against everything. And that's not necessarily the case. What people need to understand is what threats exist in the UK and Ireland. And I'll, I'll clump the UK and Ireland together in this aspect because you've got the same, you've got the common internet uh, pipeline and so forth. Mm. But what threats exist in UK and Ireland primarily, and those are going to be the threats that you're likely to encounter. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, you can look uh, sector-wise as well. So over in the States, you saw a lot of ransomware against hospitals. You know, that was a predominant threat. And look at the HSE. Yeah. You know, because it's the private healthcare sector. And that's what they're targeting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got to look at the threats. You've got to look at the motivations. Really conduct that threat analysis and understand the threats. What's yeah. the attacker after? Yep. There's a lot of lot of things we got to watch out for, Graham. Um, we're going to have to wrap that up, but I'm, I wanted to ask you before you you leave us. You're doing the webinar with Ben on the 18th of November. What are you What are you covering on that? Some of the, some of these topics, or is it something specific, something else? I'd very much look at uh, covering the culture again, because yeah. at the end of the day, we have an over dependency on technology, and technology will will only work as long as the culture there to support it. Yeah, it needs to be a structured technological approach to the threats. It needs to be asset prioritized, which is what businesses need to do. You can't protect everything. So protect what's worth protecting. Brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Graham, your, your book, Security in the Digital World, where, where is that available for download or, for, or, or in print format? Well, it's on Amazon. It's on yeah. Amazon. And right. yeah, it's very much about building those security habits. Yeah. And I mean, I've got an app that's coming up that's available as well. Uh, again, about building those security habits. It's all about the whole crux of it is pretend you know nothing and build your security culture from that. And that's mm -hmm. what it's all about. And organizations have to do that. They have to set a baseline of everyone knowing nothing and start from the bottom and work up. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I know next to nothing, so I'll start there. Yeah. <laughs> Graham, listen, great, lovely to have you on the show. Really, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, best of luck. It's been on an the... pleasure. Thank you. And best of luck on the 18th of November. And uh, we hope to meet you in person some of the one of the days. <laughs> Absolutely. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Look forward to that. Look forward to that. Yeah, that's another Thanks very much, James. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Graham. Take Bye. care. Bye. Oh my God. So yeah, I'm actually now trembling. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you just you just don't know what what to expect sometimes, and you think about these. I never thought of the power supplies, the USBs. I mean, that's, well, that's a bit crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have been conscious of you know using your phone. It's like a computer, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm, but I don't care, like I nearly don't care what happens, but you're browsing the web, you're going out, you're with it, you're on open Wi-Fi, it's a source of threat, but you still do it. You know? I'm, I'm checking this mic now. <laughs> mic. This mic is definitely getting the, getting the once over. Thanks, thank you to Graham. Thank you, Brendan. It's uh, good to be back. It's great to be back. Yeah, we'll be back yeah. again soon, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, we will. We'll we'll be we'll, three more months. No, 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 we'll be, we'll be back next month. We'll yeah. do, at the, at the end of the month, the beginning of December, we'll record a show. And we'll have a bit of fun, we'll have a new guest, and uh, great to be back. Two Irish guys discussing software. Very good. I got it. Take care, everybody. Bye.